chapter thirteen of dr quintard chaplain c s a and second bishop of tennessee by charles todd quintard this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen personal narrative the crumbling of the confederacy new year's day fell on a sunday in eighteen sixty five there being no resident priest in aberdeen the vestry of st john's church requested me to officiate for them which i did both morning and evening having large congregations and on the following tuesday i began holding daily services in the church which were exceedingly well attended at the first of these services i preached on earnestness in the christian life i remained in aberdeen until the fourteenth of january holding daily services visiting the members of the parish and performing such priestly offices as were desired then i left for columbus mississippi where i had a cordial welcome at the house of mr john c ramsey a vestryman of st paul's church the bishop of the diocese bishop green was making columbus his home but was absent at the time and expected to return on the following monday i met the rev mr schwarer of tennessee at the bishop's residence and on the following sunday i preached at st paul's church both morning and night the services being taken by the rev mr schwarer and the rev mr bakewell of new orleans i held services daily morning and evening during that week at most of which i preached at this time the minds of the people of the south were becoming impressed with the idea that the victory and independence of the confederate states were no longer certain on the nineteenth of january general hood was relieved of his command and lieutenant-general taylor took temporary command both officers and privates were holding meetings in the army asking for the return of general johnston general hood deserved well of his country for his bravery for his devotion for his energy and enterprise but the troops longed for general joseph e johnston the country was crying out for him and congress of the confederate states was demanding that the president restore him to the command of the army of the tennessee and i am satisfied that no other man had he the genius of a caesar or a napoleon could have commanded that army so well as general johnston on sunday the twenty second of january the rev john m schwarer deacon was advanced to the priesthood in st paul's church columbus by bishop green i presented him for ordination and preached the sermon from the text what shall one then answer the messengers of the nation that the lord hath founded zion and the poor of his people shall trust in it isaiah fourteen thirty two it saddened me to think that because of the death of bishop oti of tennessee mr schwarer had need to be ordained outside of the diocese to which he belonged canonically but after the close of the war and i had become bishop oti's successor mr schwarer was one of my most faithful and beloved clergymen was for several years secretary of the diocese of tennessee and missionary in charge of several important places near memphis in the epidemic of yellow fever in eighteen seventy eight he remained bravely at his post and died of the fever a few days after the ordination i met at general elsie's colonel baskerville captain hudson james d b de beau and others and we discussed the policy of putting the negroes into the army as our soldiers and we all agreed to the wisdom of so doing 
we also discussed the rumors then current of the readiness of the foreign powers to recognize us on the basis of gradual emancipation and mr de Beau, who was the editor of the southern quarterly review stated that governor aiken of south carolina the owner of over a thousand slaves had spoken to him more than two years previously in favor of emancipation to secure recognition and had urged him to employ his pen to bring the subject before the people of the confederate states it was at this time reported that commissioners had gone from the confederacy to washington on a peace mission i spent wednesday the first of february with colonel baskerville and with mr de Beau, who was of the opinion that we should have peace on the first of may the thought of peace almost made me hold my breath but i feared that the time was not yet at the same time the president of the confederate states appointed a day of fasting humiliation and prayer lieutenant colonel llewellyn hoxton whom i had presented to bishop elliot for confirmation at shelbyville in eighteen sixty three spent a night with me he belonged to an old virginia family from alexandria where he was carefully nurtured in the church and had instilled into his mind and heart the principles of virtue and religion by the quiet and steady influences of a christian home he graduated at west point in eighteen sixty one just at the time of the breaking out of the war after reaching washington he resigned his commission in the united states army in order that he might go with his state his resignation was not accepted but his name was stricken from the roll he crossed over to virginia and was ordered by the secretary of war of the confederacy to report to general polk he was a most faithful soldier and on many a battlefield displayed conspicuous gallantry i was unable to get transportation from columbus before the seventh of february and before leaving bishop green handed me an envelope containing two hundred dollars an offering from a member of st paul's parish after many annoyances owing to the crowded state of the trains i arrived in meridian here i found captain frierson of tennessee dr foster the post-surgeon met me at the railway station and i accepted an invitation to be his guest during his detention at that place at his quarters i found a number of nashville friends general maney captain alexander porter captain rice major volks captain kelly and others i visited colonel hurt who was commanding maney's brigade the brigade was smaller than my old regiment at the beginning of the war of all the thousand and more who came out in the first tennessee regiment in may eighteen sixty one i found but fifty men remaining many had been killed in battle others had sickened and died some were in the house of bondage and worst of all some had deserted their colors i left meridian on thursday the ninth of february for demopolis alabama where i arrived at three o'clock in the evening my visit to demopolis was a pleasant one while there the report of the peace commission was made public the failure of the commission was used to rally the spirits of the people who were told that every avenue to peace was closed excepting that which might be carved out with the sword but this attempt to raise the drooping spirits of the south failed the feeble flare of excitement produced by the fiasco of the peace commission was soon totally extinguished leaving demopolis i accompanied the rev mr beckwith to greensboro alabama to see bishop wilmer during this visit the bishop held a confirmation service at which i preached and the offerings amounting to five hundred and thirty dollars were given to me for army missions 
after the service a gentleman took me to one side and stated that several gentlemen of the congregation desired to present me with a slight token of their regard and presented me with seven hundred dollars it took me greatly by surprise accompanied by frank dunnington i went to selma we put up for the night at a hotel in the morning i paid for lodging and breakfast thirteen dollars i declined the breakfast the following day i had the great pleasure of meeting my friend colonel harry yateman that morning i visited the naval works and spent some time with captain ap catsby jones we had much pleasant chat about our virginia friends it seems strange to find a naval establishment in an inland town or upon the banks of a small river but the truth is the confederate government had learned the wisdom of selecting such places for the manufacture of gunboats and naval ordnance in order that they might be the better protected from the raids of the federals captain catsby jones had accomplished a vast amount of work at this place he had some four hundred workmen employed only ninety of whom were white he had up to the time i visited him turned out one hundred and ninety guns besides doing a vast amount of other work for the government he went through the works with me and showed me the different steps from the melting of the ore to the drilling of the guns he was casting the brooks guns almost exclusively and said that it combined more good points than any other while in the office at the naval works mr phillips of north carolina came in to take a look at the works he was just from richmond having travelled with vice-president alexander h stevens as far as atlanta he told a story which illustrated mr lincoln's wit and as we all thought at that time lack of dignity and perhaps also lack of sympathy with those who were interested in the war on the southern side mr hunter one of the commissioners from the south suggested during a four hours interview with mr lincoln and mr seward many instances in history in which governments had treated with insurgents and mentioned one in the time of charles i of england mr lincoln replied seward may know all about the history of that time all i know is that charles i lost his head i reached montgomery by steamer too late saturday night for the train to columbus georgia i was therefore obliged to spend sunday in montgomery my expenses on the steamer exclusive of fare were twenty-five dollars to wit three cups of coffee furnished by one of the servants fifteen dollars and tip to the boys for waiting on me and caring for my traps ten dollars with the rev mr mitchell i went that night to a meeting of the citizens of montgomery called to consider the condition of affairs then existing the theatre in which the meeting was held was crowded to excess when we arrived governor watts was addressing the assembled multitude we could scarcely get standing-room the governor spoke for more than an hour made many good points defended president davis and altogether his speech was an able one practical and thoroughly patriotic he referred to the different spirit displayed by the people at home from that of the soldiers in the field he was followed by other speakers and a series of patriotic resolutions was adopted by the people present i spent sunday in montgomery preached morning and evening and baptized the son of lieutenant-general albert j smith leaving montgomery the next morning i arrived at columbus georgia at five o'clock in the evening after an absence of more than three months i was glad to find my family well 
i took up my work of assisting the rev mr hawks as before my departure for tennessee the first of march was ash wednesday and it rained incessantly i said morning prayer and preached for the rector of the parish who though able to attend the service was looking very badly his active labors were evidently at an end three weeks later my former classmate dr frank stanford put him under the influence of chloroform and operated upon him with a knife removing a cancer he bore the operation well and was present to give his blessing when on the fifth of april at the rectory i united in the bonds of matrimony captain john s smith aide-de-camp to general hood and sally c hawks the reverend gentleman's daughter and his health continued reasonably good so long as i remained in columbus during the season of lent i officiated every sunday for mr hawks and delivered a course of lectures on confirmation on the tenth of march friday and the day appointed by president davis as a day of fasting humiliation and prayer i preached to a crowded congregation from isaiah four twelve i attended to funerals baptisms and other parochial duties for mr hawks among the baptisms was that of general warner chief engineer of the naval works at columbus another was that of captain rodolph morod of the thirty-third tennessee Strahl's brigade he was of swiss parentage a native of indiana and a practicing physician before the war major-general john c brown spent an evening with me just before he left to join his command having recovered sufficiently from the wound received at the battle of franklin he made a full statement to me of his movements at spring hill which satisfied me that his skirts were clear of even a shadow of blame for the neglect of a great opportunity as is sometimes said i had always believed it for he was at once one of the noblest of men and most accomplished of soldiers i had united him in the bonds of matrimony with miss betty childress a little more than a year previously at griffin georgia under somewhat romantic circumstances invitations had been issued for the wedding to take place at nine o'clock in the evening of the twenty third of february eighteen sixty four the groom accompanied by nine officers of his staff arrived in griffin on the twenty second but the following morning he received a telegram from general joseph e johnston ordering him to report at once at rome georgia the officers who were with him were likewise recalled general brown at once sought miss childress and laid the case before her you will have to return to your command she said but not before you are my wife he replied i was in attendance at the hospitals in griffin at the time and was sent for and married them at one o'clock in the afternoon in the presence of a few friends the groom said good-bye to his bride and went to the seat of war two weeks later he had a leave of absence and with his bride took a wedding journey i baptized the children of this marriage confirmed all but one performed the ceremony at the marriage of the eldest daughter and officiated at her funeral a year later i was with a heartbroken father at the deathbed of a second daughter and stood with him at her grave thus i knew general brown in peace and war in joy and sorrow in sunshine and beneath the clouds and i always knew him as a true man faithful in all the relations of life broad-minded and generous an enterprising citizen a lawyer a statesman a man always to be depended upon he had the good judgment the force and decision of character the methodical habit and the fidelity and integrity of purpose which compelled confidence and made success easy 
after i became bishop of tennessee and especially during his term as governor of tennessee we were warm friends his death on the seventeenth of august eighteen eighty nine was sudden and unexpected i was apprised thereof by telegram and hastened to the funeral at pulaski tennessee where i laid him to rest with the solemn and impressive services of the church at another time we had as our guest lieutenant colonel dawson of the hundred and fifty fourth tennessee and brigadier-general felix h robertson both nearly recovered from their wounds but i received the most distressing news of the death of mr jacob k sass president of the bank of charleston and treasurer of the council of the church in the confederate states of america he had just escaped from columbia south carolina before its fall and died at unionville he was one of the noblest laymen of the church of large heart and mind full of love for christ and the church abundant in labors earnest-minded and pure-hearted mr rhodes brown one day handed me a brief and pointed note to the following effect to the rev dr quintard for his private use from a few friends the note contained two thousand five hundred dollars and was no doubt given to enable me to purchase theological books and i think mr brown was the sole donor on palm sunday april ninth i brought before the church people at the services the importance of establishing an orphanage and church home in columbus and gave notice that the offerings on the following sunday easter would be for that purpose on good friday it was with great delight that i received into the church by baptism my old friend general washington barrow of nashville he was one of my earliest friends in that city and always commanded my highest and warmest regard he had received a classical education studied law and was admitted to the bar he was american charge d'affaires in portugal from eighteen forty one to eighteen forty four served in congress as a whig from tennessee was state senator in eighteen sixty and eighteen sixty one and a member of the commission that negotiated a military league between the southern states on the fourth of may eighteen sixty one he was arrested in march eighteen sixty two by governor johnson of tennessee on charge of disloyalty and was imprisoned in the penitentiary at nashville but was released the following week by order of president lincoln he died in st louis in october eighteen sixty six before easter came charleston the city by the sea after as gallant a defence as the records of history ancient or modern furnish had fallen columbia had suffered severely from a visit of the federal forces selma alabama had been taken and the larger part of it burned finally the rumors that had reached us from time to time that richmond had fallen were confirmed general howell cobb wrote to the mayor of columbus urging him to do all in his power to arouse the citizens to a sense of their duty to oppose the arming of the negroes and to promise from the military authorities all the assistance that could be rendered but from the address of president davis upon the occasion of the fall of richmond and from the proclamation of the governor of alabama to the people of his state when it was threatened with an invasion of federal troops it was evident that hope was dying out in the hearts of the people and that the end of the confederacy was not far off 
easter eve the enemy was in montgomery and that city was surrendered by the mayor without an effort at defence everything in columbus was in commotion the tranquillity of the place was not in the least served by the distressing news that was received of the assassination of president lincoln absurd preparations were made for the defence of the city but it was an insignificant force that could be gathered there thus easter dawned the first service of the day was at half-past five in the morning when i celebrated the holy communion there was a very large attendance at this service many men were present it was most solemn and impressive all hearts were filled with forebodings of what was to come the enemy was close at hand at the second service at half-past ten i said the litany and celebrated the holy communion i did not preach feeling that it was a time for prayer and supplication only the offerings as previously announced were for the church home and orphanage they amounted to thirty-three thousand dollars i stood at the altar for a considerable time administering the sacrament to officers and soldiers who came to receive before going to the field among these i recognized general finley of florida and lieutenant green son of the bishop of mississippi i was deeply touched by seeing an officer who was very devout kneel at the chancel rail and then hasten away equipped for battle clasping his wife by the hand as he tore himself from her at noon the federal artillery began firing upon the city the fight for the defence of columbus was quite a brisk affair major-general howell cobb was chief in command his second being colonel leon von zinken commander of the post our whole force was less than four thousand while that of the federals amounted to some twelve thousand or fifteen thousand under major-general james h wilson the enemy not only greatly outnumbered our force but was splendidly equipped the enemy was twice repulsed but of course our troops had before very long to give way before such superiority of numbers and equipment about ten and a half o'clock on monday morning our troops fell back across the river into the city and beat a hasty retreat on the road to macon numbers of them passing by my house i had made but little preparation for the coming of the enemy i had in my possession the money collected at the offertory at the sunday morning service this i wrapped up in a piece of rubber cloth and a friend put it in the top of a tall pine tree for me it may be there yet for aught i know i had at my house a considerable amount of silverware this was rapidly gathered up put in a sack and lowered into a well some battlefield trophies were thrown into another well about midnight we retired to rest thinking we might be disturbed at any moment but it was not until eight o'clock on tuesday morning that any of the federal soldiers put in an appearance the first man who rode into my front yard was a sergeant of the tenth missouri cavalry he asked if i had seen any confederates about there to which i replied not since last night which way were they going he next inquired towards macon can we get something to eat yes breakfast will soon be ready will you walk in he rode off and called a lieutenant who rode up hitched his horse in the front yard taking the precaution to throw the front gates wide open as he went up the steps of the porch i asked him his name he then gave it as jones but after breakfast he told me his name was freeze which it evidently was 
i had with me as a guest mr samuel noble a very dear friend who had arrived from selma on sunday morning he was a pennsylvanian who had been sent south by the federal government to secure cotton and prevent its being destroyed by the confederates at selma he had fallen under the suspicion of the federals and after being released by them was taken up as a spy by our soldiers he was asked with whom he was acquainted and gave me as his reference he was accordingly sent on to columbus in charge of a lieutenant who instantly released him upon my recognizing him he was of great service to me in the emergencies which now arose lieutenant freeze seemed a gentlemanly fellow enough and gave me the following paper for my protection i have paid a visit to the house of the rev c t quintard where samuel noble of pennsylvania is a guest for the protection of his person and property all soldiers will leave everything unmolested until general wilson can send out a guard as applied for this property must remain unmolested henry h freeze first lieutenant company d tenth missouri cavalry volunteer u s a armed with this document mr noble determined to keep out all intruders several friends took shelter at my house infamous outrages were committed in the presence of ladies at my nearest neighbors and in his effort to protect us mr noble was twice put in imminent danger pistols being placed at his head with threats that he would be shot so i went to headquarters to secure a guard a neighbor went with me and a soldier agreed to protect my premises until my return i called first on general winslow with a note from mr noble addressed to both general winslow and captain hodge his acting adjutant general captain hodge not only treated me with great courtesy but accompanied me to the office of the provost-marshal not finding the latter as i desired i determined to call upon general wilson i wrote out a statement of what had transpired at my neighbor's house and sent it in to the general with my card the general himself came to the door shook hands with me very cordially and invited me into his room where he introduced me to general mccook i asked general mccook to read the statement i had written and he did so then rising from his seat and pacing the floor he said with great warmth doctor if you could identify these men who have committed this outrage i would hang them in a minute if i could put my hands on them he immediately gave orders to his adjutant who in turn gave the necessary orders to the provost-marshal by this means i secured a guard for my own house and for three of my neighbors it was to the great relief of my family that i finally returned home for they feared from my long absence that some mishap had befallen me we had a quiet night and i had the good fortune the next morning to save both of my horses on leaving the breakfast-table i walked out on the front porch and saw two federal soldiers putting their saddles on my horses i called to the lieutenant in command of the guard to know if i must give them both up he came out immediately buckled on his sword went to the men gave them a sound thumping with his sword and ordered them to unsaddle and give up the horses they at once obeyed and i put the horses in the basement of my house when an hour later four other soldiers came dashing up expecting to secure my horses they failed to find them and mr noble went out and put the intruders off the premises a few days later the guards were all called in the troops having been ordered forward on the road to macon a number of stragglers came to the house from time to time and made efforts to enter it but without success 
one night the torch was applied to the government property factories etc in columbus the heavens were brilliantly lighted up and at intervals there were tremendous explosions the loudest was at one o'clock when the magazine was fired it shattered the glass in houses two miles away all along the river the enemy left a scene of desolation and ruin all the bridges were destroyed the factories naval works nitro works and cotton houses were all burned the shops in the town were all pillaged chiefly by the poor of the town the destruction is said to involve about fifteen millions of dollars End of chapter thirteen